0: The Christian faith has to do with the worship of God. When the Lord Jesus Christ, God incarnate, <clears throat> came into this world, the first act that men performed toward Him was an act of worship as the Magi came and brought gifts and fell down and worshiped Him. The last act, as uh, the Lord Jesus ascended into heaven, His disciples worshiped Him. What is worship? The derivation of the word, the English word, is worth-ship. It's ascribing worth to the object and saying that it's worthy to be honored in a special way. We think of the passage in Revelation where the redeemed in heaven cast their crowns before the Lord Jesus and the throne of God. and, And they say, Worthy is the Lamb to receive honor and glory. And riches and power. It's a scribing of worth. We find a description of worship in this 95th Psalm that we read. And we see some elements of worship in it. When it says uh, that we are to come and sing unto the Lord. Oh come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. Uh, Here is worship of the Lord, as David calls uh, the people of his day uh, to the public worship. Come up with him to the public worship of God. It's a praising of God, obviously, uh, first of all, a lifting up our hearts and our voices as the expression of an attitude of heart. To the Lord in psalms, in shouting is the strength of the Hebrew there. Make a joyful noise. It's a, a noise full of festive rejoicing. Uh, <clears throat> it's a thanksgiving. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving as we lift up in music in song and psalm our voices to the Lord to praise him. So it's a praising of the Lord. Uh, It's a coming before his presence. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. As Charles Spurgeon says, that uh, everywhere God is present, but there's a peculiar presence of God into which men should never come without the profoundest reverence. And he points out that it's not always easy to keep a balance between reverence and between this festive joy and enthusiasm that we are to express when we come into God's presence and that uh, frequently we, we go too far striving after the enthusiastic response and omit the reverence, or we go too far striving after the reverence and leave out the joyous, festive lifting up our voices. Uh, It's a coming before his presence. In the Old Testament, God said in reference to the sanctuary, there it is that I will meet with thee. And David would call them up to the sanctuary of God. Well, under the dispensation that we live in now, God's presence is not manifested in a place uh, but it's manifested when the people of God gather together. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in a special way. God's always present, but when two gather to praise the Lord, there's a special presence of God there, and there's a sense in which we come before his presence. He meets with us in a special way. He will manifest his presence in a special way. That's a very solemn thought. As uh, Kuiper points out in his book on uh, the church, he says, when God's people assemble for worship, they enter into the place where God dwells. It doesn't matter if we're assembling for worship uh, out under the trees or in a building. When we assemble for worship, we're entering into the place where God dwells. That's his house when we're gathered together. If the church were fully conscious of this, that God meets them and they meet God, what a difference it would make. There would be no uh, frivolity, in a sense. There would be a certain solemnity. You know, in the sanctuary of old, the presence of God was manifested with a Shekinah glory, a supernatural light. And on occasion, the voice of God would speak, as uh, when they were gathered to Mount Sinai and the mountain was all... On a smoke and fire and thunder and the trumpet of the Lord sounded and the voice of God spoke and the people trembled. I wonder how it would affect us if suddenly a, a supernatural light appeared right above my head here and a voice spoke. I believe we would all uh, have a new attitude toward coming to the house of God. We'd go out with that, that sense that Jacob had when he spent the night at Bethel, and in the night he dreams and he sees uh, the angels descending and ascending on the staircase to heaven and uh, above it the throne of God. And And he awakes and he says, what a dreadful place this is. This is the very house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And a certain tremendous overwhelming awe came over him. And this is the way we ought to feel when we come and gather together, wherever we gather together. God meets with us. We meet with God. He is present. You ought to feel like John. When John, uh, uh, in the book of Revelation, describes hearing a voice. And he turns and he suddenly sees the Lord Jesus in all of his glory. It says, being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And it says, these are the seven churches. This represents the church of the Lord Jesus Christ gathered. In the midst of the seven candlesticks was one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the floor, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white as wool and white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. His feet were like unto fine brass as they burned, as if they burned in a furnace. His voice was as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. His countenance was like the sun that shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Jesus Christ is here today. John saw him. We can't see him. But that same Christ is here today when we gather together. It's a coming before his presence. And we come also and meet with others, not just the Lord Jesus. Over in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18, Ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness or darkness or tempest, speaking of Mount Sinai, when they gathered there and the mount was all on a smoke. Ye are not come to that. When you gather together, but it says, Ye are come to Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable company of angels, and the general assembly, and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men, made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant. When we gather, others gather also. As we meet here today, we're not the only ones present. On our right, a company of angels stand. And they lift up their voices in praise with our voice. On our left, the church of the firstborn. The spirits of just men made perfect, maybe. We're all gathered together in a sense. We can't see them. But they can see us. We all lift up our voices together. We ought to be reverent. Angels stand with us. When we gather together and lift up our voices, others rush to join us and lift theirs up too as we worship God. We're coming before his presence. What do we do in his presence? His interaction. We listen to him speak to us. And we speak to him in song. We are praising him. We are worshiping in prayer, in the giving of our offerings. These are our response to him. And in the word of God, as it's preached, as it's sung, as the benediction is given, God himself speaks to us. As the scriptures are read, as continual interaction in every part of a worship service, either we are responding to God or we're listening to God. It's not—it's not an entertainment. It's not an audience. It's a congregation. It's an act. It's something we do, not something we attend. we give ourselves to him anew. Not only is it a praising of God, a coming before his presence and listening to him and interacting with him, but also it's a prostration of ourselves before God. As we read again in the 95th Psalm, in the 6th verse, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. The Hebrew word uh, that's used for worship, saha, and the Greek word that's used over and over for worship, proskeneo, they both emphasize this element of prostration, this bowing down before the Lord our Maker. It's a creature coming before his Creator and taking the position of a creature It's a sinner coming before a Savior, conscious of our sinfulness, but conscious of his Saviorhood. It's a servant coming before a master. In the 100th Psalm, serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with thanksgiving. It's a servant kneeling down and saying, I am your slave. You are my master. What is your bidding? Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? This is part of a worship service. This is what it is. Why should we render worship? The psalmist gives two reasons. First, because of what God is to us. He says, uh, Let us sing unto the Lord, let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Because he is our Savior, Because of what he's done for us and is doing for us. Again, uh, when it says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Because of what he's done. We remember right away Jesus saying, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus Christ has laid down his life for us. He died for our sins that we might be forgiven as we come and surrender ourselves to him and put our trust in him as our Savior, as the one who died for us. Because he's done this for us and because he will now shepherd us through life, see to it that our needs are met, be our guide even unto heaven, we worship him. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, who has washed us from our sins with his own blood. That sense of gratitude. But not only do we come out of this sense, which creates a sense of love within. You know, the essence of Christianity is uh, love, in a sense. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy mind, all thy soul, all thy strength. This is right at the heart of the biblical faith, and we express our love as we come in gratitude for what he's done for us. This causes love to well up within our hearts and arises from a consideration of what he's done for us. But at the same time, we not only come and worship God for all he has done for us in Christ. But we worship God for what he is in himself. The psalmist goes on to say uh, that we are to worship God because he is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his, and he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Here we have admiration of God. Admiration is, is just uh, regarding with wondering esteem God's very being. And we begin to get some glimpse of what God's like when we look at what he's done, when we look at the fact that he made the sea and he controls the sea. He made the hills. He made the deep places of the earth. He created the universe. And as we begin to reflect on that, we begin to see what a fantastic being God is. And then all of his attributes are displayed in Jesus Christ. And our heart just goes out in admiration and wonder and awe. This admiration is a part of worship. Tozer says that God doesn't have many admirers. We've kind of lost this art. So when you think about it, this is totally different from the way we normally think of of church. When we think of church, we think of going to get something. And uh, you go away and you say, well, I didn't get much out of that. How was the service? Well, I don't know. It wasn't too good. But we're missing a good bit of the whole Business of assembling together when we think in those terms. We don't go to church just to get something. We assemble ourselves together to give something. To give unto the Lord the glory due his name. To take the place of a creature coming worshiping his creator and his savior. To render unto him the praise that is due him the admiration to stand together and lift up our voices in adoring wonder to give. How do we do this? In the fourth chapter of John, the Lord Jesus has a conversation with the woman at the well about worship. And uh, he says to her (coughs) that, And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We must worship God in spirit. That means it's not just an external thing of forms or places. It's a thing of the heart. It's an inward thing. And it's got to come from the heart. If we go through the ritual, if we sing the songs, if we gather together, but it doesn't come from our heart, then it's not acceptable to God Uh, in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah takes to test the people of Israel because while they went through all of the external ritual and felt that they were doing God's will and felt very pious, he says, Trust ye not in lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. For if ye thoroughly amend your ways and your doing, if ye thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, If ye oppress not the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and shed not innocent blood, neither walk after other gods to your hurt, then will I cause you to dwell in this place. But because ye trust in lying words that cannot profit, will ye steal and murder and commit adultery and swear falsely, burn incense to Baal and walk after other gods, and come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered to do all of these abominations. Your going through the ritual is offensive to God if the heart isn't right with God and if it doesn't proceed from the heart and from the will. It involves the will. As we see here, a yielded will. The sacrifices of God are a broken heart, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise, says David. And to obey is better than to sacrifice. Sacrifice apart from obedience means nothing. We have to choose between the ritual and the heart obedience. The heart obedience must come first. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. So it must be done in spirit, involving the heart and the will. It must be done in truth, which involves the head. Jesus said, you don't know what you worship. We know what we worship. Worship without knowledge. Uh, Worship uh, that involves the inventions of men is not acceptable to God. To to worship God acceptably, we must follow a biblical pattern of worship. Uh, There are different uh, rules that different church groups follow. Uh, One group... uh, says uh, anything is acceptable to God in worship that's not expressly forbidden in the scriptures. But that's not the reformed approach. The reformed approach is only that which is enjoined in the scriptures is acceptable to God in worship. And to quote John Calvin, Men who improvise upon the word, though they toil much in outward rites, yet are impious and contumacious because they will not suffer themselves to be ruled by God's authority. To the ways of worship set forth in Scripture, the church must adhere with the least possible admixture of human invention. To those who introduce newly invented methods of worshiping God are really worshiping and adoring the creature of their own distempered imaginations, says Calvin. We must worship God according to Scripture. The implications of all of this for us, uh, worship is a comely thing. It's a thing that's appropriate. It's a thing that's right. If we have this element of uh, praise and adoration and uh, admiration from our hearts lifting up Uh, our voices in worship of God this is missing why it's like a marriage where romance is missing this is a love affair and this is telling God we love him I don't know about your marriage but uh, marriage is to me a sterile thing if there's no romance in it if uh, the, the most precious things about a marriage are not just serving one another, but it's that period of telling each other you love them and uh, adoring each other in a sense. And this, uh, this must be present in our worship also. To express our love and not back it up by service is hypocrisy, but to have all service without the expression of our love is a cold kind of a service. In Scripture, what are some of the most precious words to you? Aren't those passages where God says, I've loved you with an everlasting love, and I've drawn you to me with cords of a man? I've graven you on the palms of my hand. Can a woman forget her suckling child? Then could I forget you. And the the expressions of love. Well, God wants our expressions of love, too. Uh. As you read uh, the scripture, you see that this is very much a part of the relationship that we have to the Lord. Again, worship is costly as well as comely. In the Old Testament, uh, a man was to travel great distances to gather together and unitedly lift up their voice in worship and praise. He was to bring a lamb at great expense to himself often. We think of uh, Mary of Bethany as she uh, breaks her alabaster box of precious ointment and anoints the Lord Jesus. And uh, others said that that was worth a lot of money. This was misused. And the Lord Jesus said, no, she hath wrought a good work. And uh, it is costly to really worship the Lord in the right way. David said on one occasion when he wanted to express his gratitude to God for stopping a plague, and right then and there he wanted to do it, he asked uh, a man who owned a particular threshing floor if he could buy his threshing floor and buy his oxen and offer their sacrifice to the Lord. The man said, no, you can't buy it, I'll give it to you. David said, no, I won't offer unto the Lord that which costs me nothing. It's costly. And worship that costs us nothing is worth nothing. Again, uh, it's a consequence. It's a consequence of something the Lord's done in our heart. When uh, in Luke 7, a woman comes before the Lord Jesus, and she's sitting in the house of Simon. She rushes in, she again anoints him, and then with tears she bathes his feet and dries them with her hair. And Simon is scandalized at this act of devotion by a woman like this. Jesus says, Well, Simon, you don't understand this because uh, you're not conscious of being forgiven. You had two debtors, and uh, one is forgiven a great deal. The other's forgiven a little. Which will love the most? He said, the one that's given, forgiven a great deal. He said, that's right. This woman loves much because she's been forgiven much. If this element of love toward the Lord, of this adoration and worship, your heart going out to him, your, your whole being thrilled with the Lord and, and wanting to lift up your voice spontaneously in praise to him, if this is absent, then maybe you're not conscious of forgiveness. Maybe you've never come and experienced in your heart the forgiveness that creates this love and this response. Maybe you need to commit your life to the Lord Jesus and receive him as your Savior. Let us unite our hearts in prayer. Lord, we want to worship and adore you. We are thrilled with the verse that says, For the Father seeketh such to worship him. May our worship be done in spirit and in truth. May it be done from the heart and not just with outward forms. May it be done from the head in a biblical way. Lord, we want to express our love. We want to come and tell you that we love you that we thank you, we want to express it in the way we lift up our voices and in the way we live our lives. And we pray, Father, that more and more we'll be enabled by you to worship, to adore, to admire. And we pray, Father, for any who don't have that consciousness of forgiveness that leads their heart out in such worship. May they begin to experience that through Jesus Christ today. Amen.